Hey, so we are in the second week of this series, and it is titled, What Keeps You Up at Night? And uh, over the course of this series, as the title implies, we're talking about what are those things that keep us awake where we go to bed, but we can't get to bed because our mind is racing about whatever it is that's bugging us or worrying us, or we wake up at two or three in the morning, and we can't get back to sleep because our mind is just dwelling on whatever it is. And so we're talking about how do we deal with that? And, you know, one of the things that we'll see as a theme throughout this series is one of our core values, which is this, is living God's way is better. When we follow God's instructions from the Bible on how to live our lives, life goes better. And so all the things that keep us up at night, God has commentary on that. God has wisdom that we can follow if we choose to follow. And so we're looking into the Bible and figuring some of that stuff out. So if you were here last week, we talked about stress and how stress keeps us up at night. And we talked about it kind of from two different angles. We said, if you have stress because of the pace of your life, you're just trying to do too much, cram too much in, trying to spend too much money with not enough income, that type of stress, then we need to get with God and prioritize how he wants us to prioritize our life and our time and our finances and all our relationships and all that. But then we also talked about sometimes we have stress because we just don't trust God for the future. And so if that's the question, if that's the issue for us is we're not trusting God for where our lives are and for the future, what we need to do is we need to understand more fully who God is. Because when we understand that God is a God who is a provider, who is faithful, who is trustworthy, who is in control, then we're not going to stress about life because we know that God has us in his hands. And then this morning, we're going to talk about people. And we're going to talk about how we have relational conflict with people, and that keeps us up at night. Because there's division, because somebody said something, because we said something, whatever it is, that there are people in our lives that we can't get to sleep over because we're thinking about that. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to basically take it in three parts. We're going to first talk about who. Who are the people in our lives that are difficult to get along with? Who are the people in our lives that we're staying awake at 3 a.m. and saying, I'm so frustrated with him or her? And then we're going to talk about why. Look at some of the questions and answers about why would God allow us, why does God have us go through some of these people relational struggles? And then we're going to spend the bulk of our time at the end on what? What do we do? How do we respond when these things happen to us, when people come into our lives? What's the response that we give? So that's where we're going this morning. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that you call us to be with people, that you teach us, and that you want us to have relational harmony with people. And God, I thank you that your word tells us that. And as we head into the message this morning, I pray that you would even bring those people to mind. Who are the people that we're having struggles with? How do we deal with it? What's our role? What is your role? What is their role? God, teach us this morning about these things. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So right up front, I want to give you the bottom line of where we're going uh, this morning because it's really going to be woven through so much of what we talk about. I want you to understand the bottom line up front so you can see it as it's woven in through the scriptures we're going to look at and some of the people we're going to talk about. Uh, and it comes by way of actually my son, Riley. He just turned 19 last week. But when we uh, first moved to Charleston, he was three, and he's just a sports nut. And so by the time he was four or five years old, and we have, is, for Charleston, we have a flat yard. I mean, it goes like this, but for Charleston, it's pretty flat. And so we, um, 
we played all kinds of games in our front yard. We would play soccer. We'd play kickball. We'd play wiffle ball. We'd play get back to base. We'd play capture the flag. We'd play tag. We'd play. I mean, if there was a game to be played, we would play it on our relatively flat yard. But Riley argued about everything when we played these games. I mean, he would argue about who should be on which team. He would argue about the rules. He would argue about whether it's a goal or whether it's a hit or whether it's not or whether the tree is inbounds or out of bounds. I mean, if there was something to argue about, this kid would argue about it starting at age about five. I mean, I really think that if Jesus played front yard wiffle ball with us, that Riley would have argued with Jesus about whether he was out or not. I mean, he was that like intense with his arguing. And so, it seemed like about half the time, Riley would finish the game in his room upstairs overlooking everybody else playing because we would just yank him out of the game because he would argue all the time. And so we finally, like, we got to figure this out. So Stacy and I put our heads together, like, this is just driving us nuts. This kid has got to learn something. And so um, God led us to this verse in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. And it says this, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. And I don't even think he could read or read very well by the time we made him memorize this verse. We said, Riley, you will memorize this verse. As so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And so that's not to say he never got kicked out of a kickball game again, but we would just send him to his room and like, you better start memorizing this kid. Um, and you know what's, what's interesting? I'll stick with Riley and then I'll give the bottom line. But his birthday was um, this past week, uh, he turned 19, and um, somewhere, by the grace of God, I think he learned this. Because uh, one of the posts about his birthday said, to the most selfless guy that I know. It came from his girlfriend, a little bit biased, but still. <laughs> oh, that's something. Um, but I was like, man, it, it, this stuck. And, and here's the bottom line that I want to give us for this morning. Is do your part to promote peace. Do your part to promote peace. And so we're going to talk a lot this morning about our part. What's our part in promoting peace? So here's the first question, is who? Who are the people that are causing you to stay up at night? Here's the first one. And I'm going to run through a sort of a cast of about six or seven characters here. Here's the first person that keeps us up at night, or at least keeps me up at night, is Two-Faced Tommy. Because Two-Faced Tommy, what he does is he tells you what you want to hear to your face, but then he goes somewhere else, and he says something else totally different. He says what you want to hear, but then he says something else. Two-faced Tommy. Very frustrating. Uh, and then we've got Ralphie Wright. Does anybody have a Ralphie Wright in their life? Because Ralphie has to be right all the time. If the subject is politics, Ralphie knows. If the subject is best baseball teams, Ralphie knows. If it's the proper way to load a dishwasher, Ralphie knows. Ralphie knows everything. Ralphie Wright. And Ralphie also has a brother. Maybe you've met him. Uh, his name is Bobby, Bobby Blamer. And Bobby blames anything that goes wrong on somebody else every time, right? Bobby's late to work. Well, it's the traffic's problem. You know, a presentation doesn't go well. Well, somebody else didn't do their part. Anything that happens, even if he gets angry and frustrated and mad and yells, well, he pushed my buttons. Bobby Blamer. Anybody know one of those? Here's my favorite, or my least favorite, depending which way you're looking at this. These, these girls are twins, by the way. Connie Complainer and Cammie Critical. Does anybody know any of those folks in your life? And 
Connie and Cammie, complainer and critical, they're pretty much the same person, but they're always complaining. They are always critical. And it might be being critical of things on Facebook. It could be to your face. It could be being critical when you're not there. It could be, and this is the critical Cammie that I don't like the most, you're sitting in a meeting you know, that's supposed to be one thing, and they're picking apart something else. It's like, oh my goodness, can you not see the good in anything? Right? Anybody know some of those folks? Here's another one. Anybody know a one-upper Juanita? Right? You know one-upper Juanita, don't you? Like, whatever you do, Juanita did it better. Hey, we went to Columbus this weekend. Oh, that's great. We went to New York City. Oh, we're going to the beach, Myrtle Beach for vacation. Oh, that's great. We're going to Cancun. Oh, okay. You know? And the funny thing about one-upper Juanita is, is she works it in both directions. Right? So if you've got something good, she's got something better. But if you've got something bad, oh, she's got something worse. Right? Yeah, I got my car inspected, had to get new tires. Oh, I got my car inspected. We had to get new tires, new brakes, new windshield wipers, new car. You know, I mean, she's, everything is a one-upper. It's like, oh, my goodness. We know all these people. And then there's also this one. There's Nitpick Nan. Does anybody know Nitpick Nan? I mean, she just nitpicks about every little thing. It's like, just let it go. I mean, Nancy, just let it go. No, it's Nan. I officially changed my name in college. It's Nan, not Nancy. Okay, Nan. And on and on the list goes. We've got Angry Andy, Demanding Don, Self-Righteous Sally, George the Grudge Holder, and then my favorite, who is really difficult to live, live with, is Messy Matt, right? So there's all of these names. All names, characters, and incidents portrayed in this sermon introduction are fictitious. No identification with actual persons living or deceased should be inferred. No person or entity associated with this sermon introduction received payment or anything of value or entered in any agreement in connection with difficultpeople.com. No animals were harmed in the making of this sermon. <laughs> Just in case you thought I was thinking about you, that's the disclaimer. Uh, but there's two more people that I didn't mention. And it's perfect Polly and perfect Pete. And that's us, right? We're perfect because all the relational problems that we have, that's because of somebody else, isn't it? No, it's not. We contribute to the relational problems that we have. And so this morning, as we talk about it, we're going to talk about how do we contribute to it? How do we have a part in the relational conflict, the disunity, the disharmony that we have? That's the who question. We're going to answer the next question of why. Why does God allow people in our lives who are difficult? Because I don't know about you, but there's definitely times in my life where I'm like, I just wish God would just take them off the planet Earth. Not necessarily kill them, but like move them to Kansas away from my world or whatever, right? But God doesn't seem to do that enough, at least for me. Why does God have people like this in our lives? Part of it is the fact that we are sinful. Like, we just live in a broken world, and so we're going to rub shoulders with people who are sinful, including ourselves. But I think sometimes there's a little bit more to it. You know, one of the things that happens when we encounter difficult people is it makes us examine our own hearts. It makes us examine the condition of our own hearts to say, maybe there's some work that God needs to do in me. You know, the second part of it that really flows out of this is that it will help us to grow spiritually. You know, one of the things that we say a lot at River Church is we are here to help you. We all want to grow in our love for God and our love for people. 
right? But that's not just growing in the love for people that we like and that we enjoy. But part of growing in your love for people is growing in your love for people who are hard to love. And so God brings those into our lives so that we can grow in that way. And then there's a third part of it is this, is that God will sometimes put difficult people in our lives and cross paths with us because it, keep, it teaches us to trust him. It teaches us to trust him because we need his help to learn patience, to learn skills, to learn how to get along with somebody who's difficult. There's an author named Max Licato, and he said this. He said, um, and by the way, we're sending Roger and Sherry out to be missionaries. This is not why they're going to be missionaries. But um, it says, some people have called to be, have, excuse me, some people have been called to be missionaries of misery sent into our lives to wreak havoc. I mean, doesn't it feel like that's like, why is this person, why is this person in my life? Because they're just wreaking havoc. But what that does is it gives us opportunity to trust God for the future. So how do we do that? How do we do that? So this is the what question. What do we do in order to follow after God, in order to get along with people so they don't keep us up at night? If you would, if you would turn to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, and we're going to look uh, at about five or six verses in Romans chapter 12 uh, about relational conflict and how we handle it. And then we're going to look at um, a few verses in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And as the bottom line that we talked about, so far as it depends on you, live at peace, that we look first inward. And so this passage in Romans, we're mainly going to look at ourselves and how do we deal with people. Second Timothy will be a little bit ourselves and then a little bit how do we actually deal with the relationship or with the other person. So it begins like this. Verse 14 it says, Bless those who persecute you, Bless and do not curse them. Now, Paul here is talking about those people that persecute you. And maybe as you think about the people that you're in conflict with, maybe you feel like you're being persecuted, or maybe you just feel like it's a difficult relationship. But we could look at this and say, bless those who keep you up at night. What are we to do? It says that we are to bless them. And as we look at this, it has sort of two aspects. It says, bless and do not curse. Bless and do not curse. As you think about this, it's the people that are hard to love that are hard to bless. You know, and with this, those that persecute us, those that keep us up at night, the last thing that we want to do is bless them. What we want to do is curse them. And we don't want to curse them like put a curse on them. We may want to curse them in terms of cuss them out. But really, what I think what it kind of boils down to and this is challenging for us, is think about the people in your life that you don't get along with very well, that just rub you the wrong way. We don't want the best for them, do we? Like when they get a flat tire, we're like, oh, sorry about that. Kind of happy, <laughs> right? I, you know, we're sort of like, ooh, something bad happened. I'm sorry, you know? <laughs> we do that. That's why we're laughing. I'm not the only one. <laughs> but you see, what this says is bless them, don't curse them. The attitude we want to have is we want the best for them. How do we do that? It follows in verse 15. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. It means coming alongside them. And if something good happens to them, then we celebrate with them. 
If something bad happens to them, we come alongside and we empathize with them. But here's the question that kind of goes through my mind as, as Paul writes this. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, in light of those people that are difficult to get along with. And I go, I don't really want to do that. So does that mean if I do, if I bless somebody who's persecuting me, bless somebody who's getting difficult to get along with, am I being disingenuous? Because I don't think we want to do that. We don't want to become two-faced Tommy. And we, but we look at this and we say, this is why I need God's help. I need God's help to want to bless them, to care for them, to reach out and be genuine about it, not just gritting my teeth and doing something nice, even though we're in this conflict. Then it continues on in verse 16. It says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Again, this is the goal that we're after. Live in harmony with one another. If we live in harmony with somebody else, we can sleep at night. We have relational peace with them. That's what we're shooting for. Live in harmony with one another. And then again, he gives instructions to us in dealing with us before we go deal with them. He says, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. And the word haughty, it actually means high. It says, do not be high. And uh, one of the things that as I was researching this week, preparing for the message, as I looked, I said, where else is this word used in the New Testament? An interesting place that it's used, if you know the story of the temptations of Jesus, and it says it, uh, the, it says the devil took Jesus to a high mountain. The word high there is the same as haughty. In other words, what Paul is saying to us is he's saying, don't think highly of yourself. If we were to put it in sort of modern day idiom, we'd say, get off your high horse and do what? Associate with the, lone, with the lowly. In other words, what it's saying is we think that we're right and so, well, it's his problem. We have a relationship problem because it's his problem. But what Paul is saying is, don't think that way. Don't think haughtiness. Don't think high of yourself. Get down and go and talk to that person. Figure it out. Don't think that they need to come to you because it's their problem. Go to them. Then it continues in verse 17. It says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And I love that word honorable. Do what's honorable. That may not be what's easiest. That may not be what your heart is telling you, but it may not be comfortable. But we're called to do what is honorable in relationship with other people. And then verse 18 says this. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And I want to dissect that. That's the verse that we made Riley memorize when he was a kid. I want to dissect it and actually start at the end. It says, live peaceably with all. And I want to emphasize that we are commanded right here to live peaceably with just the people that we like, just our family. No, live peaceably with all. That we want to do what we can to live peaceably with all. And then it says, as far as it depends on you as far as it depends on you. And this is so freeing, but also so challenging. It's freeing, it's it's challenging because it's hard to take the step and go talk to somebody, but it's freeing in this way, that we do what God asks us to do, 
and then we can sleep at night. The other person's response doesn't matter in the sense of if we do what we're called to do, so far as it depends on you, live at peace. It doesn't say so far as it depends on you and their response, live at peace, so far as it depends on you. Give you an example. Let's just say that I have um, offended you in some way, right? Whatever, whatever, I'll probably offend most of you. Whatever way I've offended you, I, I forgot your name or I ran over your cat or I bumped your car in the parking lot or whatever it is, I offended you, okay? Do you feel offended? Good, good. Okay, so thank you. <laughs> so you feel offended and then I go to you and I say, hey, I'm sorry that I called you the wrong name. I'm sorry that I said those harmful words. I'm sorry that I go to you, right? And I say, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? Now, at that point in time, you have two options. You could say, yes, I forgive you, or no, I'm not going to forgive you. I still think you're a jerk. Those would be the two options that you would have. But so far as it depends on me, I've done what I need to do. And so if you have done what you need to do, then you can sleep at night. Because now, whether you forgive me or you don't forgive me, I can sleep at night because I have done what God has asked me to do. And then if we look at the very first phrase of this, it says this. It says, if possible, if possible, so far as it depends on you. That there are going to be times when we go to the person and try and reconcile, we go to the person and try and make things right, and it's not going to work out. But that's not on us. If we have done our part... If possible, so far as it depends on you, live in harmony. But maybe it doesn't end up in harmony. But again, we sleep at night because we have done what God has asked us to do. Now, I want you to flip over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And Romans primarily looked at what do we do, kind of evaluate ourselves. This one we're going to look at and we say, now how do we go to the other person that we have this conflict with? So it begins, we're going to pick up in verse 23. Paul writes, Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. I mean, how true is that? Have you ever had just like a little spat with somebody, and then it escalates into this huge thing, right? It just starts as a little common, a little offhanded common, a little tone of voice, and you just don't drop it, and it escalates into this huge deal. And I think what Paul is saying here is just let it go. Let it go. You don't need to nitpick Nan about everything. Just let it go, because when we don't let it go, what happens? It goes from a little thing into this huge mountain of a quarrel, of a huge fight. So let it go. And then it says this in verse 24. It says, actually, I'm going to read all of 24. It says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. There's some great words in here. First of all is be kind to everyone. This is this deal that we want, no matter where we have conflict with people, we want to go and we want to reconcile those relationships. But then it says this. It says, able to teach. Right? Now, Paul is writing this to Timothy, so part of it is Timothy needs to be able to teach and lead the church, but for us, there's a part of it as well as far as teaching us, because what we want to be able to do 
is we want to be able to go to people and teach them or explain to them our position without it getting out of control. Able to teach, able to reconcile their relationship. Because what happens, and, and this is, um, you know, I meet with couples for premarital counseling. I meet with couples for counseling. I'll, I'll counsel people, you know, individually about how to deal with stuff. And one of the kind of biggest flaws that people have in trying to teach, if, if you will, of trying to explain something to somebody else, is they do it at the wrong time. And I, this is the phrase that I use in counseling. I say, have a dispassionate discussion about it instead of a heated fight. In other words, as an example, if you want to have a discussion with your husband or your wife about the finances because they're spending too much or you're spending too much or whatever it is, the best time to do that is not when you're paying bills and there's no money left to pay the bills or when you're paying off the credit card with a huge amount of debt on it. That's not the time to have it because what's going to happen then? It's just going to escalate. The time to talk about it is someplace different when it's not in the heat of the moment. You know, if you have trouble getting your kids out the door because they're always late and slow and sloppy and whatever, the time to have a discussion about being a responsible person is not screaming on the way to school because they've made you late again or yelling at them on the way to the bus. That we have those conversations at a different place. And that's, I think, what he has in mind when he says, able to teach, able to convey what you want them to hear. And then it says, patiently enduring evil. And there's definitely a part of unity and harmony in relationships that just means us learning to be patient. This, again, is God coming in saying, this is going to change your heart. These relational conflicts are going to change your heart as well. Learn to be patient. Here's the last phrase we're going to look at. And I'm going to, I'm going to be a little... Uh, I want you to do this. I want you to take out uh, your Bible and get a pen or your... Uh, if you have it on a phone, highlight it. If you don't have a Bible or a pen, take the pen out, or if you don't have a Bible or an electronic Bible, take the pen from right in front of you, right in front of your knees. Go ahead and take it. Take it. You're not taking it back there. I'm seeing you. I see. Take the pen. You're going to write this on your arm or your fore or your hand or your, you know, your neighbor's forehead, whatever it takes, but you have got to write this down, okay? Are we ready? It says this, verse 25. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. Underline gentleness. Circle gentleness. Write gentleness on your arm, wherever it takes. I want you to remember this. That we correct, but we correct with gentleness. So often, the, the difficulties we have with people don't get resolved because there's no gentleness. You might be right in the problem that you address them with. But because you've addressed it in the wrong way, then it just leads to a blow-up. Do it with gentleness. And part of that just comes from learning. You may, depending on the family that you grew up in, there may have been no gentleness. Like it was just say it, yell it, and scream it, and move on. But what God says is be gentle. You know, it may be starting phrases like, I might be wrong about this, but here's what I see as the problem. Or what you did yesterday was kind of out of character. You usually behave this way, but yesterday you said this or you did that, and let's talk about that. Or you'd say, you know, I'm partially to blame for this, but here's the issue that I see. Or I'm not sure that you meant it this way, but this is the way that I took it. Is that what you meant as we have these conversations 
with people, that we correct gently. Here's what it definitely does not say. It doesn't say, correct them via email, right? It doesn't say, correct them via text message, does it? Is that in anybody's Bible? And I am absolutely, positively, absolutely for sure that it does not say, correct them on Facebook, right? I mean, the stuff that you see on Facebook about people laying into other people and criticism and all that stuff, it's like, it just, it just bugs me. And we've got to understand that airing our dirty laundry out there, it doesn't help. There's so much when you Facebook message somebody, when you post it on Facebook and hope that they get it, right? When you text somebody, when you type a, an email, a hot email, there's no tone in there. It comes across not the way that you want it to come across. Or maybe it comes across just the way you want it to come across, right? But it's correct gently. When Stacy and I uh, were dating, we've been dating for about a year, and um, this was before cell phones and email and text message and all that, um, but there was kind of a problem that we had in our relationship. Uh, and instead of picking up the phone and calling me, I was living in Cincinnati, she was living in Fort Worth. Um, instead of calling me, she uh, said, actually she did call me, but just briefly, she said, I'm on my way to Cincinnati, can you pick me up at the airport in about four hours? And so she came in, and there was something of a serious nature that we needed to discuss face-to-face. And I so appreciated that she got on a plane, spent the money and the time to, draw, to come to fly a three-hour flight to come and talk about it face-to-face because there needed to be a gentle correction there in what we were discussing. Let's look at one last verse. This is verse 25. It says, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And I want you to circle this. You don't have to write this on your arm, but I want you to circle the word may. It appears in here twice. God may perhaps grant, and then the beginning of verse 26, and they may come to their senses. And that word may is important. Because it may happen or it may not. But remember, our bottom line is so far as it depends on you, we do our part and we leave the results to God. We leave the results to the other person. Because it says, God may perhaps grant them repentance. So the person might repent of whatever problem they have, verse 26, and they may come to their senses. But what's the flip side of it may happen? It may not happen. The other person may not repent. The other person may not come to their senses. But so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, if possible. So we don't control how they respond. We only control what we do. And that is incredibly freeing if you're up at night and you can't sleep because of people conflicts and people relationships. You go, you know what? When I wake up in the morning, I'm going to do what I need to do. And then tomorrow I'm going to sleep well because it's not on me anymore. I've done what God has asked me to do. We're giving God room to work. So I want you to think about for yourself, 
who is it that God is bringing to mind? Who are the people in your life right now that there's conflict with? Who are those people that, as, you, as I've been talking, that name, that person, that face has come to mind? And then the second question is, what is God calling you to do? What is it that you're needing to do? Do you need to pick up the phone and call somebody? Do you need to say, hey, can we get lunch tomorrow? Do you need to just pray for patience? What is the step? What's the action step that you need to take of what God is laying on your heart this morning? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that you want us to live in harmony with one another and that you've given us these great steps on how to do that. God, give us the courage, the strength, the humility to look at ourselves first, Lord. God, we need humility to say, hey, I play a part in this role and to start with that before having the conversation with somebody else. Give us the courage, Lord, to have these conversations. In Jesus' name, amen.